Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So this is my weekly wrap-up video. A little bit abbreviated today uh, by Silver Fortune standards. So that means like 15 minutes instead of the, the usual 25 to 30 minutes. But anyways, I want to start off here with precious metals. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the price action and exactly where it's going. Rather... I want to talk about some of the other factors that are at play here that I think are really going to be driving things like the dollar, uh, precious metals, etc. So real quick, if we go over the price action, this is a three-month chart here from TradingView.com, uh, usually my source for, for charts for my videos, really good source overall. But as you can see, uh, a pretty much a, a sideways week for precious metals, uh, quite a bit of weakness with a rally yesterday and in the week on somewhat of an upward note. Now, looking at the gold to silver ratio, it remains very high. We've been rising throughout the day. Um, it's currently standing over 88 to 1, just shy of, I think, the high that was actually like 88.8 to 1. So we're talking 25-plus year highs. So you'd have to go back to the early 90s to find the last time the gold to silver ratio was this high. And I think it was 1991, actually, that it topped out around 100 to 1. So very much a... a, a a huge divergence, I, I guess you could say, between silver and gold in the sense that they're heading in the same direction, but silver certainly has been down more than gold as of late. So that's, I mean, take that for, for what you will, uh, a buying opportunity, in, in my opinion, for silver, an opportunity to get it at a very low price, especially relative to gold. Gold's actually done a fairly decent job of holding on uh, it, it remains below 1300, kind of that key level. But, you know, with that rally uh, yesterday, you know, above 1280, so not all that bad. Silver, on the other hand, again, like 1450, 1455 as I speak, uh, after markets have closed on Friday. So that's where it's standing right now. And, and, and you know, to compare this to the uh, dollar index chart, this is the three month chart once again. Kind of what you'd expect, you know, uh, strengthening throughout the week until finally uh, a pretty significant drop yesterday. Now, I want to talk more about the dollar. Currently, it closed the week above its what would seem to be its key level of 97.5, which was a key level for a very long time. And, you know, I think the, really, the, the dollar, and not just the DXY, but I'm talking about dollar liquidity, the cost of borrowing the dollar, the strength of the dollar relative to other currencies, especially emerging market currencies, that's going to be a really big problem for I think the global economy and, and a lot of markets going forward. I've maintained for a while now that a significant rise in the dollar, if, if we see it firmly break out of this range here, firmly above 97.5, 98.5, 98.2, up to you know, 100, 101, 102. I, I've heard people say much, much higher than that. Uh, that is, on the surface, sure going to be looking like the, the dollar is doing great relative, relative to all these other currencies. But underneath that, I think it's going to be very distressing for financial markets and for a lot of economies for some of those reasons that I just talked about. It's going to be a strain on dollar liquidity. It's going to increase lending costs for dollars, especially in those you know emerging market currencies and whatnot, which which need the dollars to 
keep their economies and their financial system afloat. It's it's going to be painful for a lot of emerging market currencies that already have been suffering thus far in 2019 and had a really bad second half of 2018. Overall, I, I think it you know some people would call it the euro dollar squeeze. That's what we're in right now. And on top of this, we have the trade war, which I think is maybe coming at the worst possible time, not just from a macroeconomic perspective in the sense that we're towards the end of the cycle. The economy is heading towards a recession and something like a trade war is likely going to hurt economic growth. No matter where, you know, if it can be resolved, if a deal can be worked out, whatever, that's, that's great. And maybe over the long term, that's going to be good for the U.S. and the Chinese economies. Maybe. We'll see. But as it stands right now, less trade, uh, increased tariffs, a.k.a. increased uh, taxes, um, all of that. And, and this is not just China. I mean, we, we have the EU, we have Mexico and others that are you know, part of this trade war as well. That's bearish for economic growth. So that's pretty obvious. But also, what we're dealing with right now is a Federal Reserve, which I would argue has a window right now to loosen monetary policy. And, and that's not from my perspective necessarily saying that they should or anything like that. I'm just saying from their whole mandate of 2% inflation, what they're dealing with right now, or at least what their data is showing, is inflation that they just cannot get to rise. And and their, I guess, common sense over at the Fed, again, not mine, but theirs, would be that something like a rate cut or maybe some more QE could bump that number up a bit. But But the problem they're dealing with is that this trade war, ultimately because of tariffs and, and other, uh, I guess, dynamics of it, uh, in, will ultimately increase costs. It'll be inflationary. And so the, the as ridiculous and inaccurate as, as it is, it's going to cause the PCE, the uh, Fed's favorite indicator of inflation, to rise. I've seen pretty significant estimates of, of how much it will actually rise, half percent, one percent, even more, just because of the trade war, which means that's going to give them less room to maneuver. Now, when it's all said and done, I think the Fed will find any way to justify something like a massive rate cut, right? If they want to cut rates to zero percent, start up the printing presses again. Sure, they don't need inflation at any number to do that. All they need is uh, the, the stock market crashing or the economy in a recession. But what I'm saying is they have a window for a short period of time before this inflation is is reflected, the trade war inflation reflecting the actual inflation numbers, to potentially ease somehow. A little bit of QE, a little rate cut. I don't think they are, though. That's not their trajectory. Ultimately, their pivot began back in December, the Powell pivot. Never mind the Powell put, but the Powell pivot began back then. But they're not at that threshold in this, this slow move towards dovish policy. They're not at that point yet where they're ready to cut rates or to, to start QE again or anything like that. They're just not there yet. They need some sort of a shock to the system. And I'm not so sure they're going to get it until it's too late. right? Something like a preemptive cut, preemptive QE to spike inflation, uh, delay a recession, that might be somewhat effective. Again, over the short term. We're talking short term here. Obviously, I'm 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 on board with the whole idea that this is this is destructive over the long term. But cutting rates or QE or something along those lines, providing dollar liquidity would help to move down the dollar, it would take pressure off the financial system and would work towards their goal of increasing inflation, as ridiculous as that goal is. 
But I don't think they're going to take advantage of that window. Instead, I think what we're going to see is we're going to see slower global economic growth as a result of the trade war, as well as these global, you know, these these long-term macro factors, the fact that we're just overall heading for a slowdown. We're going to see this euro-dollar squeeze continue to ramp up, dollar potentially continuing to move up. We'll see. There's, there's some caveats uh, coming here in a minute. And we're going to see inflation rise here in the United States given the Fed, in theory, less room to maneuver. Again, they're going to maneuver anyways. They're going to cut rates. They're going to do QE regardless of if inflation's at negative 1, 0, 1, 2, 3%. They, they'll need to, I think, in the next you know downturn, the next crash. But what that means is they're going to be hiking in an inflationary and recessionary environment potentially, or stagflationary which is, is, I think, ultimately going to be even more destructive for the dollar. And all I'm saying is is that they have a window. They're going to skip out on this window, I think. And instead, they're going to be dealing with a very different situation to what they did before. More inflation in a recessionary period. And their tool is going to have to be to, to ease. But that's only going to add to the inflation. Now, there's a bit of a caveat here. Now, I've been saying I wouldn't be surprised if this euro-dollar squeeze continues. And, and I've said for a while that... You know, to see the dollar index here move up to 100, 101, 102, even beyond that, is is not out of the realm of possibility. But if it moves up to a certain point, as I said, I think it's going to cause quite a bit of a stress on financial markets and economies. And the Fed is going to find some reason to, to cut. I'm not talking about their big cut, their big easing, but something, something along the line, uh, something when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply along the lines of a, a half percentage point or quarter percentage point or, or some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, quasi-QE, right? They've already talked about that to some extent with their, uh, uh, once they end their quantitative tightening program, they're going to be um, moving, I think it's selling off their long-term debt. I forget exactly which, or maybe it's their mortgage-backed securities I'm thinking of, but they have some other maneuvering with their, their balance sheet that they can do that isn't technically QE. They're not expanding their balance sheet, but they're switching some assets out for other assets. So I I mean, that's really where, where I'm at right now, uh, analyzing this. And again, as it relates to, to silver and gold, that means you know a slightly stronger dollar uh, or significantly stronger, another 5% rise. I mean, we're talking about a significant maybe move down in silver and gold. Again, I'm seeing $14 as kind of the support for silver, uh, low 1200s for gold. I've seen other people say that as well. And that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not talking 13, 12, $10 silver or, or $1,000 gold or anything like that. I'm not to that point. I could be wrong. But I think that as we head into the second half of this year, what we're going to see instead is, again, uh, a trade war that's increasingly weighing on the global economy that is already having a rough time already towards the end of its cycle, already dealing with a mountain of debt and rising rates in the corporate sector and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And I think in in spite of that, we're still going to have quite a bit of inflation because of this trade war. And the Fed is going to have to be 
cutting rates and, and doing their big cut, their big easing in the midst of inflation, thus increasing even more inflation. Now, of course, this PCE number that the Fed uses or even the CPI number, I think, significantly understates inflation. Uh, you guys know that, that I'm skeptical of these types of numbers, but uh, of course, the Fed or the government would never actually admit that. Now, moving on from silver and gold, I mean, I, I, that's that's kind of my take on it for this week and, and, and what's going on in this trade war. Moving on, I also saw this article right here. It begins, for the first time ever, China takes over an insolvent bank. Now, this is from today from Zero Hedge. And what it's talking about is is a uh, Mongolia-based uh, Baoshang bank that the Chinese government is basically taking control of, nationalizing it. It's an insolvent bank. And this has always been one of my, I don't know, question marks about the the Chinese financial system. There's no doubt that they are swimming in a pile of corporate debt. And I've said this in the past, that when you have some sort of a, a somewhat communist-type government like China, right? They, they have some elements of capitalism, but at their core, they're, they're communist. And people say, well, they don't have a, co- a government debt problem. They just have a corporate debt problem. And I say, you know, what's the difference when it's all said and done? Now, we've seen thus far in 2019, we saw it last year, where a large amount of corporations were allowed to default on their debt. And and that was a bit unusual for, for this post-Great Recession time period, uh, the Chinese government allowing that to happen. And it's kind of always been my perspective that eventually, if it gets bad enough, the government's going to step in. And and again, that, that idea of, is there a difference between government and corporate debt when you're in a communist country kind of comes into play. And so I think we're seeing that right here with this, with this Baoshang Bank. But the question is, is how far will China and the People's Bank of China go to stabilize their financial system? Now, I'm not going to go too much into to detail on this specific bank. It's interesting and whatnot, uh, but more so, what what I want to focus on is what's next, right? With a trade war, with a basically a Minsky moment, which they're at or past or around or nearing in in the Chinese economy, in which debt is just too much, and eventually they've they've hit their capacity for debt before these defaults take place, before more debt actually hurts economic growth rather than creates it over the short term. Um, what is this ultimately going to lead to? Well, it's going to be this, I think. You're going to have a lot of corporates, financial and non-financials, default. And the government is going to be forced to nationalize them, take control of them. And then it becomes a government problem. But, you know, when you're a government like China and you have your own central bank and your own currency, you can print that money. I mean, what what does debt mean for, for China's government, right? Just like what does it mean for the U.S. government? Not a whole lot until currency devaluation and inflation comes into play and so that's kind of my my end game here for china is that ultimately their financial system will blow up it's going to be as much a self-inflicted wound as as anything else like yeah the trade war trump whatever else will play a role in it but it's it's gonna be self-inflicted and and china can do what they can to to stabilize their own financial sector their, their own economy by nationalizing but what's really going to suffer is Yuan, their currency. And, and it's already getting close. People are already speculating that it may be getting very close to that key 7 to 1 rate, uh, 7 Yuan to $1. And if it breaks through that above 7, then you know what's next? I mean, it's, 
it's eight to one and nine to one and and who knows how much it could weaken in a significant crisis and a significant trade war right again this trade war could be coming at the worst possible time china may very well choose to devalue their currency to offset tariffs to to uh, uh weaponize it basically not not actually but but weaponize it versus the united states and that could be in a very similar time period in which they're also going to have to deal with the devaluation of their yuan anyways, thus compounding, sorry about that, thus compounding any sort of uh, devaluation that was already going to take place. So that's kind of my perspective on the Chinese economy. Now, yes, there's there's a whole gold topic. China has a ton of gold. So does Russia. Russia has not a whole lot of debt. China does. Does that gold offset all that debt? Not in today's system, not current prices, it doesn't. But if it gets bad enough, it puts China in a better position than, say, the United States or something like that. I mean, the U.S., let's forget about our gold that we supposedly don't do or don't have, right? But never mind that. The U.S. has a lot of assets. We have a ton of natural resources. We even just look at the, the DOD, the Department of Defense, and look at their assets. I mean, it's, it's huge. But... I still would say that China, natural resources-wise, or at least in terms of their gold, is in a better position because of how much they've been accumulating. They see the value in that. China's a bit of a different topic, or sorry, Russia's a bit of a different topic in that they don't have a whole lot of debt. But they also have a lot of gold relative to the size of their uh, currency and, and, and their economy. So it, it's it's going to help them. But you know, even another thing to keep in mind here is going back to uh, my my discussion with uh, uh, Rory from the Daily Coin uh, a week or two ago, talking about China and how I, I don't want to kid anybody when I say that regardless if I think China is going to quote unquote win or lose this trade war or their economy is going to crash or thrive or whatever, I I want to separate that from my views on the Chinese government and how they govern because my perspective on that is that they're a and we're talking about a totalitarian regime, regime that needs to stifle things like free speech, free thought, uh, freedoms. What you and I would consider, you know, some essential freedoms and, and human rights, uh, they, that's not a concern over there. And that's, I mean, that's the case for collectivist countries, but that doesn't mean it's right. I mean, you see this, it's, it's uh, over in Eastern, sorry, Western uh, uh, China, closer to Central Asia, they have a uh, uh, an ethnic group of Muslims. I think they're called like Uyghurs. It's it's a, it's a unique spelling, but basically, something like as many as a million of these Muslims, these ethnic Muslims, have been basically placed in in internment camps, right? Because they uh, in the past have made you know, independence movements or, or have been less favorable, have held less favorable, favorable views towards the Chinese government. I mean, that is, that's totalitarian as it gets. And somebody even commented, you know, I remember seeing that. I think I've talked about this in the past of my channel, but it doesn't take that long before internment camps turn into concentration camps, right? And yet many voices in um, China on the international stage of been basically silent on this. Not everyone, but but I think most people have. Uh, you probably haven't heard Trump uh, talk about that or or just their overall abuse of human rights, which is really unfortunate. That's that's really the whole 
I guess, downside to this to this discussion. The final thing I want to talk about here was Tesla. And I feel like I'm, I, I don't have a clock in front of me or a, a timer, but I think I'm way over 15 minutes. But but Tesla, a really terrible week for Tesla. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if next week, you know, tactically speaking, it goes up. The price goes up because of just how much it's gone down. You've seen the stock price right here, huge drop. But finally, I think people are realizing just how dire the situation in Tesla is um, they continue to make price cuts to their Model S, their Model X, continues to be uh, cost-cutting measures. Musk even said so himself uh, recently, sent out an email basically saying any expenses, additional expenses, has to be signed off on by either me or my CFO, things like that. That that reeks of desperation. He sent out an email this week talking about how they're likely going to meet their their production goals uh, and, and you know, they very well might meet their production goals, but more and more the the problem is not whether or not they meet their production goals, which I'll be honest, I don't think they will. Maybe it'll come close, but I don't think they will. But the problem here is who's going to buy those cars. I mean, that's, this is no longer a demand problem like it was a year ago, or sorry, a supply problem where they couldn't get the supply to market. They couldn't make the cars fast enough. Uh, in, in about one year's time, this has turned into a demand problem. They, they don't have enough demand for these cars at current prices. They could lower the prices, right? They could start pumping out the uh, Model 3 $35,000 car with a, what is it, like a $3,750 rebate or whatever it is right now. And, and sure, that could happen, but Tesla's not really making much money on those. That's not sustainable right now in 2019 for them. So, you know, Musk is rolling out all sorts of, you know, the Chinese Gigafactory, uh, the, the robo-taxi plan. Um, read up on this if you haven't already. It's been very interesting. I've been kind of ranting from time to time about Tesla for, for probably about a year plus now. And and it's nice to see the stock price, but stock price fall. But I think it also has a – this story is far from over. There's, there's many, many chapters left, uh, including potentially – uh, the 11th chapter. So we'll see where this heads, but, but something to keep an eye on, something to read up on. I know there's a great community on, on Seeking Alpha as well as on uh, uh, Twitter, TSLAQ. You can check it out for yourself. But, but as always, that's my weekly wrap-up video. Thank you guys for watching from the bottom of my heart, and God bless.